come to you today and we acknowledge that you are what we need. And in so doing, we willingly open ourselves up and acknowledge that we are needy. We are imperfect people. And yet when the perfect comes, you have a way of remolding us and shaping us and fashioning us for the kingdom of heaven. Father, we thank you today that you're more than enough. And we pray that we would never lose sight of your great goodness and compassion, of the grace and the overwhelming gift you've given us in your Son, Jesus. And because of that, help us to look beyond ourselves, to see not just our own need of you, but to see others in the world and how we can step into their life, how we can expand the kingdom, how we can restore people. Father, give us such a vision and use us in such a way that your kingdom would come every single day in our life. We pray it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You're going to have a seat this morning. Let's watch the screens. I braced myself. I know it was about to enter in a few seconds. A plumber can't fix the drain that's about to hit me. Jack! Jack, you have to help me, Jack! This is Peter Beggart. To say he's needy is an understatement. He always has a problem, and no matter how trivial, it's always a big one. So what's the matter? My life is a mess. When isn't it? I, I don't know what to do. I've tried everything. How about not whining? Everybody, everybody's against me, Jake. You're my only friend. I sometimes think my life would be so much better if it wasn't for those people. All right, anybody agree? Life would be so much better except for those people, right? I mean, that may be where we start the day, um, but um, hopefully it's not where we end the day. It's understanding in this series about those people. And you can see on the screen there the, the types of people we're going to touch on uh, each week in this series. I think it's going to be a valuable series for us because, uh, well, you know, the fundamental truth is, I suspect, that if we did the survey, everybody in the room has got to have somebody around at one time or another who fits the category of being one of those people in your life, right? Uh, I mean, there's just difficult people uh, in the world. And today we're going to talk about one of those uh, and that's the needy uh, person. Uh, what's the guy's last name? Did you, like, did you catch the guy's last name in the video? Beggard, wasn't that it? Am I the only one that saw that? Isn't that a great... That was pretty smart. Uh, well, anyway, we're going to talk about needy people, talk about those people. I think it's going to be valuable to us. It's going to be valuable just because of a simple biblical truth that we all have to understand, uh, and that is the world is full of, of those people. I mean, the reality is... We live in a broken world, and because we live in a broken world, uh, there, there's just going to be those people, right? Uh, it, it's just the reality. The Apostle Paul tries to capture it uh, in Galatians 5 and give us the reason for those people. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, so there's lots of folks out there that are doing what? Well, they're just following what they want, right? It's all, life is all about uh, them, and then he tries to describe what that looks like. He says the results of that are very clear. Here they are. 
sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties. And then he puts in that wonderful ending catchphrase. And if anything on the list that I missed, if there's something else out there that's one of those people in your life, all those other sins like these. (laughs) That's his kind of catch-all, right, to make sure we understand. Look, there's all kinds of behaviors out there in the world. And those behaviors, when you're following your sinful nature, are going to lead you to be one of those people. We're just going to run into difficult people. Now, the challenge for us in the church is we're going to run into those difficult people not only out there in the world every day when we're doing our work thing or, you know, our parenting thing or our school thing or whatever it is we're doing, right? We're going to run into those people out there in the world. But the truth is... We're going to run into those people in this room. (laughs) I mean, the reality is the church is made up of a bunch of broken people. And where broken people are, there's going to be those people. I can prove it to you. All we got to do is look at the disciples, right? We only had 12 people in the church at that time, right? And even among the 12, we'll see over the series, they managed in their life to turn out to be those people once in a while. So here's one instance in Matthew 26, Jesus is at a meal. Woman comes in. She has perfume. You know, she lathers him up in perfume and, and dries it with her hair. And just this really wonderful experience. And, of course, how do the disciples respond to that? They get upset. They look at the situation. They start to criticize the woman. They start to criticize Jesus. They start to have a problem with Jesus about the whole thing. They become difficult. And they become one of those people, right? They say... Jesus knew what they were saying. He said to them, why are you giving this woman trouble? So they're obviously giving her trouble, being those people. She's done a good thing to me. You'll have the poor people with you all the time, but you'll not have me with you all the time. She put this perfume on my body to make it ready for the grave. Jesus could see she was doing something greater than what the disciples could see, right? The reality is the disciples became those people. We need to face the truth for us today as we start this series and understand hopefully this series can help us not only out there in the world in our in our daily life as we're living out there, but it can also help us in here. Because the reality is Christ Church is made up of a bunch of broken people. Praise God. Good thing. Because broken people are getting healed, getting mended, life is getting better, but that takes time, that takes process. So the reality is Broken people are all around us. So how do we deal with broken people, and today specifically, needy people? What I'm going to suggest for you this morning, and you're going to need your your half sheet, I think, just to get this for you, so you can pull that out, that'd be great. But what I want to suggest is that as you think about needy people in your life, that you ask yourself some fundamental biblical questions, okay? Just some fundamental questions as you approach difficult people and specifically needy people uh, in your life, right? Assuming everybody's got some of those people in your life. Everybody got it? Nobody has a difficult person in their life? We're done early. No, you got it. I know you got it. So here's the first question. This is really, this is a challenging question right out of the box, okay? So don't miss the first question because this is a good one. It's really a challenging question. The question is, is this difficult person or this needy person an opportunity for God and for me? 
Now, the trouble for we Christians, I think, is we can answer the first half of that question pretty easy and say, oh, absolutely, everybody's an opportunity for God, right? In fact, we may even look at needy people or difficult people in our life and say, you know, they just need to get Christ in their life. If they just get Christ in their life, this thing gets straightened out, right? And, and we see them and we say, well, they're an opportunity for God, right? The deeper question is, can this needy person be an opportunity for you as a Christ follower? That's a different question. If you look at Proverbs 27, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Tell me this. How does iron sharpen iron? How how does that happen? When When you get a picture in your head of iron sharpening iron, what kind of picture do you get? I mean, I get the I get the guy, you know, with the, with the hot blower thing and the hot coals, putting the iron in there and putting the iron on the anvil. And what does he start doing to the iron with the iron hammer? He starts pounding it, right? Is that that's my picture? Iron sharpening iron. What was it saying? Well, listen, it may mean some pounding. It, it doesn't mean it's easy. But the reality is, a difficult person in your life or a needy person in your life may be exactly who God is bringing to your life for your own benefit. Whoa. That's a big one, isn't it? Because so often we see needy people and and we see difficult people and we just want to do what? We just want to get rid of them. Right? We just want to get them out of our life because they're needy or because they're difficult. We just want to write them off as fast as we can, just get rid of them, right? And say, well, hopefully somebody else will come along and take care of them or hopefully, you know, God will get in their life and do, you know. But the challenge for us is the first question, listen, is this person, this difficult person or this needy person, is he not only an opportunity for God, but is this person an opportunity for me? Let me give you an example. It's out of Acts 16, and it's the Apostle Paul and Silas, and they're in Philippi, and they've just converted some Christians, and so they're now off to go pray with these new Christians where they, where they decide to play. It says, one day they were going down to the place of prayer, and we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day after day after day. Is this young girl becoming a difficult person in Paul's life? Absolutely. He now has a difficult person in his life, right? So day after day, she's showing up, and she's saying, Hey, these people are the Most High God. They're going to tell you how to be saved. Look how Paul responds to the situation. He says, uh, this went on day after day, until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. What was Paul's response to this needy person? Enough already! (laughs) I am fed up with this day after day after day. You've been hounding me. I can't take it anymore. And so what's he do? He steps into her life and he casts out the demon. Now, we could spend a lot of time just trying to decipher that experience in and of itself, right? And that'd be really good for us. But there's more to the story I want you to get. 
Okay? Here's the real end. Here's the real deal. You ready? So he does this incredible work. But remember what we just learned about the girl. She was earning money for her masters. How do you suppose the masters responded to this experience? Whoa, the gravy chain just ended. This is not good. They got upset. They got a mob together. They arrested Paul and Silas. They took him, put him on trial. They ended up beating the heck out of him and throwing him into prison. So Paul and Silas get thrown into prison. It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas are in prison. They're praying and singing hymns to God. And all the other prisoners were listening. What were the other prisoners doing? What was happening in that prison? Paul and Silas in that prison, in the midst of the darkness, in the middle of the darkness of those other prisoners' life, were praying and singing and proclaiming the gospel. Right? Then it says, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors were immediately flew, they flew open and, and the chains of every prisoner, how many? Every prisoner, not just Paul and Silas. The chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open, all of them. He was assured the prisoners escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. What? We are all. Do you see that word? We are all here. Who does that mean is there? Paul, Silas, and everybody else. All those prisoners in the middle of their imprisonment, in the middle of their darkness, apparently received the gospel of Christ. And it gets better. The jailer called for lights. He ran to the dungeon. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought him out and he asked them what? Sir, what must I do to be saved? And the end of the story, he gets saved and his whole household gets saved and they all get baptized. And you know why it happened? It all happened because of one difficult girl that exasperated the heck out of Paul. You tell me, can one difficult person, one needy person, be exactly who you might need in your life? Whoa, that's big. Ready to go home? That was pretty good. I'm telling you, I don't know about you, but I'm, I challenge, that's a challenge for me. That's a challenge for me. You get a lot of need people coming through here. That's a challenge. Next question. Hard question. Who is reaping what has been sown? So in this situation that you face with a needy person that they come into your life, the next question you have to ask is, who is reaping what has been sown? So there's a principle in the scriptures about sowing and reaping, right? It comes out of Galatians 6. You will harvest what you plant, right? So the only exception is Jesus came to take our sin for us and our death for us, and we get freedom and life. But other than that, whatever we plant, we're going to reap, right? So you have to ask the question, is this needy person in my life, not only because I need it, but is this needy person in my life because of what I've been sowing? Have I been sowing the right seeds? What does this look like? There's a lot of needy people in the world who struggle with difficult things. And alongside of them is somebody who is planting seeds that enable them to stay needy. You know the term, right? We call them enablers. 
What do enablers do? Enablers plant seeds into those needy people's lives that allows them to stay needy. So you may have somebody who's difficult in your life, somebody who's a needy person in your life because they're, you know, dealing with alcohol addiction or they're dealing with sex addiction or they're dealing with pornography or they're dealing with spending too much in an addictive way. You go through the list, right? Throw in Paul's statement and all those other sins, right? You may have somebody in your life like that. The question is, are you reaping them as needy in your life because you're planting the wrong seed? And you're planting the seed that enables them. Or are you ready to step up at the plate and plant the difficult seed that speaks the truth in love? That's a big question, isn't it? Sometimes needy people are in our lives because we back off from the difficult responsibility we have in Christ to step into the situation and speak difficult words in loving ways. Let me give you an example of somebody who did that. It's the prophet Nathan. It comes out of 2 Samuel 12, and it's David, the king. And you may remember the story of David, the king. Remember, he he, uh, was uh, passionately involved with this woman, Bathsheba. Trouble is, she was married to Uriah. So what did he do? He wanted her, so he made sure that Uriah was killed in battle. So David committed murder, right, and kept... Bathsheba for his own. Nathan the prophet is aware of his sin. He's aware of what's going on. And so Nathan the prophet comes to David and tells him a story. Great story. He said, David, there was this guy. Uh, One guy was rich and he had lots of sheep. Another guy was poor and he only had one lamb. But this lamb, this wasn't just some ordinary lamb to this poor guy and his family. This lamb was like the most precious possession This lamb ate from their table, drank from their cup. This was like one of the family, right? Uh, Not many of you probably have lambs like this, but you probably have dogs or cats like this. Well, dogs like this. I'm not a cat fan, so. Sorry, cat lovers, but, you know, I don't know a cat that does that, but dogs, right? You know, you get the gist, right? This was a beloved, beloved, beloved animal, right? The rich guy has a guest come as a as. The guest comes. He's responsible to provide a feast. Instead of going and getting one of his own lambs to provide for the feast, of course, what does he do? He goes and he takes the lamb away from the poor guy and has it roasted for the feast and gives it to his guest. David hears this story and says, That is unacceptable. This guy should die. He should pay back four times what he has done to this poor man. David's obviously upset. Nathan then responds with straightforward, honest words. David, you are that man. The Lord God of Israel says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Amorites and stolen his wife. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. What happens there? What did Nathan sow? Honesty, right? He sowed honesty. Tactfully, straightforward, but tactfully, tenderly, told the story. But he sowed honesty. 
What did he reap from David? Honesty. David looked at his life and said, yeah, you are so right. Nailed it. I have sinned. Right? One of the questions we have to ask when needy people are in our life is, what seed are we sowing? Are we sowing the seed that speaks to them lovingly and truthfully? Or are we sowing the seed that enables them to stay in their sin? It really gets to a big question for us. It's wrapped up here. The big question is, when it comes to needy people in our life, when we step into their life, is this a time to help them or is this a time to restore them? There's a big difference. There's a big difference. What does help look like? Somebody comes to you in need. They, they, need, they don't have their rent. And, and so you step into their life and you say, you know what, I'll help you out. Right? I'll help you out. And you pay their rent. Well, what happens three, four, five, six months later? They come right back to you and they have a need again because the rent needs to get paid again. Well, you helped them the first time, right? But helping them didn't solve the problem for the long term. All it did was help them. Is that a good thing? Absolutely. That's a great thing, right? That's an absolute good thing to do, to help them. The problem is helping them doesn't always equal restoring them. The challenge for us is to discern when is it a time for us to help and when is the time for us to restore, right? If you look at 1 Peter 2, it says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. Should we do good things? Absolutely, we should. Don't get tired of that, right? Verse 10, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. So we should get tired of doing things. Every time we have an opportunity, we should do something good. The trouble is, what is good in the right situation? Sometimes the good is just helping somebody out. But sometimes the good is looking to restore them and not just help them. Sometimes the good is restore them, not just help them. Let me show you in Acts 3. Uh, where that happens. Peter and John are going to the temple. You probably know this story. And they go to the temple. There's a beggar who's there every single day uh, by the beautiful gate. Verse 3, it says, when he saw the beggar, saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some, what? Money. What is he really asking for? All he wants is help. Can you help me out? I just, need, I just need a little cash. Can you help me out? Right? That's what he's asking for. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. He expected help. That's what he expected. Just give me some help. Give me through today. Give me through the week. Give me through the month. Just a little help. He expected help. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. But I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. What do they give him? They don't give him help. They give him restoration. Get up and walk. Start walking for your own, pal. Start making your own way here. Start walking. Get up. Walk right. Walk truthfully. Walk in the way the Lord would have you walk. You see the difference? They could have just helped him and just gone through the gate gone to the temple and been on with their day. But instead, they chose to restore him. 
Here's the dilemma. The dilemma for we Christ followers when needy people come into our life is we have to discern, is this a time to help or is this a time to restore? At Christ Church, here's what it looks like for us. If somebody comes off the street to us and they're in need and they say, look, we need some help, we'll help them. We'll help them. If somebody comes, that same person comes back a second time and says, man, I I need help again. You know, I just, I need help again. Usually it's money. I need help again. Then we're going to sit down with them and we're going to say, why do you need help again? And then we're going to ask him, what's your plan to make sure you don't come back here again for help? What's the plan? If they have a plan, we'll help them. We'll help them. You bet. If they come back a third time and say, oh, my plan didn't work. I need help again. Then we say, wow, that's too bad. Your plan didn't work. Here's our plan. Here's what we're going to do. We'll help you one more time, but only if you go through, if it's like money, only if you go through financial peace. We'll pay your way. We'll pay your way to go. But you've got to commit to go through financial peace before we help you. Guess what? If they don't go through financial peace, we don't help. We're done. That's it. We're done. Why is that? We want to do good and help, but we want to restore. And we've got to get a path to help people restore. I've got to tell you, I had one lady who was really smart. We got to the fourth time, and I said to her during the week, she came back, and I said, well, now we're done. Can't help you. Right? You know what she did? She came back on Sunday morning when all you good people are here. Right? And got everybody all worked. Oh, my gosh, here's this woman with a need. Oh, we got pastor. We got to do something. We got to help this person. We got to step in and we got to help. And guess what pastor did? Sorry, can't help you. Oh, my gosh, you should have seen the folks in the house on that day. Pastor, what can you do? You're telling them you're not helping. We should be helping. No, we helped, but we got to restore. So you got to figure out the discernment when needy people come into your life. What is it God is calling you to do? Help? Or restore. Help and move to restore. The significant question is ultimately getting them to restoration. You with me? Another tough one. Another question. Getting short. Another question. Second, or third, am I seeking God in this? And this is like vital to us. So far we've asked some really good questions. But none of those questions work if you don't ask this question. As you're dealing with this needy person, you've got to ask, am I seeking God in this, or are my emotions and is my agenda wrapped up in how I respond to them? Because my agenda and my emotions can influence how I respond to them. And what I need to get in, in, in the saddle, what I need to get in front and center, is what is it that God would have me do? Remember where we started? Is this person in my life not just for God, a God opportunity, but for a me opportunity, right? So I've got to start by saying, God, you've you got to take control of this situation. You've got to give me discernment. You've got to help me understand what I need to do. Here's a great example from Exodus uh, 15. It says, then the people complained and turned against Moses. So what's happened? Moses took them out of Egypt. They've been wandering in the desert. They haven't had water for three days, okay? No water for three days for the whole nation. And they start what? Complaining. And they start turning against Moses. What do they become? Difficult people. They become needy people. Because what do they ask? What are we going to drink, Moses? We're going to die out here, Moses. 
We need water. Moses, water, please. We need water. What'd they just become? A whole nation of needy people. Right? A whole nation of needy people. Look what Moses' first response in the face of needy people is. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help. That's our starting point. When needy people come into our lives, we start there. God, you've got to give me discernment. It's got to be about what you want. You've got to show me the right thing to do. Is it give them help or is it speak the truth in love and work to restore them? God, you've got to tell me, is this person in my life because you want them here? We've got to start by crying out to the Lord, right? And I love the, I love the solution. It says, the Lord showed Moses a piece of wood. Moses, Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. Get out of here. Who came up with that one? I mean, this was not a Moses solution, right? I mean, can you imagine Moses walking along the pool going, oh, I got all these needy people. What am I going to do? I don't know what to do. What am I? Oh, here's a piece of wood. I'll throw it in the water. I mean, this is not a Moses solution. Whose solution has this, this has to be? It has to be a God solution. It was a total God solution. And that's our goal. When difficult people in our lives, when needy people in our lives, we start by seeking God and saying, God, what's your solution? May not be ours. May not be ours. God, what is your solution? Because God has a solution for the difficult and the needy people in our lives. Why do we know that? Here's the hard truth. Jesus Christ gave up his life for each one of us, and he gave it up just as much for every needy person and difficult person you encounter. He loves them just as much. He died for them just as much. And he's a future for them just as much. And we may be part of their solution to bring him to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thanks even for the needy people in our lives, even for the difficult people in our lives. It's incredible how you work, that you can use a stick, that you can use us. So we ask today, help us to ask the right questions. Help us to see this person with your eyes and not our own. And uh, when it's right, give us the words to step in and speak honestly, honestly and tenderly, compassionately. And help us to uh, receive them. And, and when it's help, give them help. And when it's restoration, do whatever it takes to restore. Just make us part of the solution. Most of all, Lord, we seek you that this person, whoever it is, difficult or needy, that they would come to understand your love for them and the future you have for them if they just surrender to you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.